You know, <clears throat> last year in January, we had a guy named Bob Hazelet in. Were you all here for Bob? Bob, such a cool dude, you know, and, and um, he was excited to come to Cowboy Church because he'd never been to Cowboy Church before. He's from Connecticut, <clears throat> or Phil- he's from Philadelphia area, but, but he lives in Connecticut now, and he was pretty excited to come to Cowboy Church. And he was ready to set on hay bales <clears throat> and rope doggies and, uh, you know, do all that kind of stuff. When he left here, he says, he says, Darren, you may need to consider changing the name of Cowboy Church. I said, what? He said, yeah. He says, it, it doesn't sound like Cowboy Church. And so I got a chance to talk to him a little bit and tell him, you know, Cowboy's not an image. Even though there's an image tied to it, it's about pioneering. It's about, you know, honor and integrity. It's about those things. And I said, whether we have people that are cowboy or not cowboy or want to be cowboy or don't want to be cowboy, they're still the spirit of a cowboy, you know? Now, where was I going with it? I have no clue. But, but the thing about it is, you know, sometimes we don't play cowboy music uh, maybe there's a little country stuff goes on before service or whatever, but we don't, you know, Kirsty don't sing country music. <laughs> she may used to, but she didn't, she don't now. Anyways, um, I don't think we do need to change. I think this is who God called us to be. And I'm not, I'm not shutting Bob down. Bob is cool. But, um, anyways, I'm not going to change the name of Cowboy Church because I think it intrigues people. So anyways, with that, man, it's, it's so good to have God's presence be in the house, not because we're cowboys, because we're people who seek his presence. Right. Amen. 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 So it doesn't matter who you are. God loves us. Um, last week um, in the transition, I had talked about people who were not sleeping well. And I prayed for you guys. I just really felt led to pray for you guys uh, and, and your sleep. So has anybody, I've got a couple of testimonies people sent me, but if you raised your hand last week and you slept better this week, would you, at least one, even, even one night, even one night, amen, amen, good deal, good deal. You know, if God will do that for you, he'll do that to you, even if you didn't get your sleep yet. I just, it's not a word that stops, it's a word that keeps going. Amen. 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 Uh, we also had a, a testimony of a, of, of a healing of cancer in here. During, not, not during CW's, CW's message was pretty hot. But before CW got up here, there was a lady that uh, proclaimed that her husband was healed of cancer during worship last week. And God's, God is so good. God is so good. It ain't nothing to him. You know, the, the, the C word um, to people a lot of times is very uh, fearful. And it's, 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 just, it's just a sickness. And God can heal it. God can reverse it. God can take it out. Amen? So if he can do it for one person, he can do it for you. Amen? Keep pressing in. Keep pressing in. All right? Are you ready this morning? Are you guys ready to, to get into the Word? Yes. It's a two-Bible kind of day. And um, 
If you have your Bibles, which is always good to bring your Bibles, um, if not, we put it up on the screen or you can get it on your phone. But I want to go to Mark chapter 10, Mark chapter 10. And, um, you know, last year, um, well, in December of 2019, we always try to push into the next year, you know, seeking God's face. What is this year going to hold? And I didn't have a word for 2020. You know, everybody else had a word for 2020 because it's 2020, you know, we got perfect vision and, and not knocking that down. I mean, now that we're on the other side of 2020, it's like we, we needed to be adjusted a little bit, but pastor Lynette really spoke into 2020 last year and not so obvious with the, the perfect vision 2020 thing, but she pressed into talking to us about Kairos and Kronos moments. Now, um, that means if you weren't, if you weren't here, you hadn't heard any of that kind of stuff. Um, the word time in the new Testament has two different Greek words associated with it. One is Kronos, which is where we get our uh, word chronograph. It's, it's uh, about measured time, you know, measured time, 24 hours in a day, 60 minutes, in an hour or whatever, that's chronos. And then there's another word called kairos. And kairos is a time that is a moment appointed to that space within chronos. Does that make sense? So kairos is what she really talked about. She talked about how we could uh, capture the kairos and recognize the kairos moments that God <clears throat> brings us into <clears throat> Excuse me. And, you know, she talked about recognizing and acknowledging the value of Kairos moments in our journey as Christians, in our journey in this life. And, um, you know, the challenge in that is determining the, the, the um, annoying interruptions in our life uh, and, and what are the anointed, uh, annoying, not the anointed, the annoying interruptions and the anointed God stops? You know, where, where does God come into that Kairos moment? And, and so um, in, in March of 2020, we all kind of hit one of those. You know what I mean? You know, life as we knew it got interrupted. No one had ever been there before. No one had been in that moment. And so how do we as Christians capture that as a Kairos moment instead of an annoying interruption? And really, honestly, I don't think the church did a very good job of it. Um, just because nobody had ever been there before. But life as we knew it got interrupted globally. So... Um, I just want that on your mind. I mean, if, it, if, it, if it's not already on your mind, I mean, shoot, it's been on our minds for a year. But I wanted to kind of push into a little bit. So here in Mark chapter 10, I want to set this up because Jesus and his disciples are headed into Jerusalem for the last time. They didn't know. They were going for the celebration of Passover, but they didn't know that Jesus was going to die on the cross during that time. And so they're moving, they're, they're traveling, they're, they're on tour, I guess, moving toward that, towards that place. And, and what I found is that between 
Mark chapter 9 and Mark chapter 10, there's about two or three months that is not captured in the book of Mark. It's captured in uh, Matthew and Luke and John, but it's not, mostly Luke um, captures that three-month period. And during that two- or three-month period that, that they're on tour, headed towards Jerusalem, there are a lot of interruptions that take place. There's a lot of Kairos moments that take place in Jesus' life. And, and go back, I challenge you to go back and read and, and Luke and see during this time, there are dozens and dozens of Kairos moments that happen. The blind are, are the, uh, encountered with Jesus and they see the dead raised. People are healed of all kinds of things. Miracles, signs, and wonders happen through that whole time. But bringing us into Mark chapter 10, I wanted to capture one of those <clears throat> Kairos moments um, with a guy that was blind. So Mark chapter 10, I want to go to verse 46. Are you there? All right. I didn't hear any pages turning. Used to, used to, you'd hear pages turning when you told people. Now you hear this tap, 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 tap. That's all right. That's all right. I'm going to read from the Passion Translation. It says, when Jesus and his disciples had passed through Jericho, a large crowd joined them. Upon leaving the village, they met a blind beggar sitting on the side of the road named Timai, the son of Timai. Now, in the, in the King James or New King James, it is blind. They call him blind Bartimaeus. The word bar means son of Timaeus. So it was Bartimaeus, and his name was Timaeus or Timai as well. So he's Timai Jr. Everybody knows him as Jr., all right? <laughs> so passed a, a guy named Timai or Jr., and when he, Jr., heard that Jesus of Nazareth was passing by, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me now in my affliction. Heal me. Those in the crowd were indignant and scolded him. Shut up. I, I wrote that in red in my Bible. They scolded him for making so much of a disturbance. But he kept shouting with all his might, Son of David, have mercy on me now and heal me. And then here's where it gets good. It says, Jesus stopped. Jesus stopped and said, Call him to come to, come to me. So they went to the blind man and said, have courage, get up. They were just telling him to shut up. Now they're telling him to get up. Get up. Jesus is calling you. Have courage. They just wanted to get in on the fanfare. You know, look what I brought to you, Jesus. Anyways, I'll go on. So they went to, went to him and he, they said, have courage, get up, Jesus is calling you. So he threw off his beggar's cloak, jumped up and made his way to Jesus. Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? And the man replied, my master, please let me see again. Jesus responded, your faith heals you. Go in peace with your sight restored. And all at once, the man's eyes opened, and he could see again. And he began to, at once, to follow Jesus, walking down the road with him. It's good stuff, isn't it? 
Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word today. God, I pray that the weight of your word would settle in on us and begin to change our hearts, to begin to give us revelation. Father, I know that there's a blessing on your word whenever we read it or when we hear it. And so, Father, that blessing that's on the word, I pray, would begin to heal blind eyes, physically, spiritually, emotionally. Father, just let that word settle in on us today. We thank you. We praise you for what you're going to do in this place. And we give you all glory and honor in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. On Thursday morning, there was a series of events that happened to me this this last Thursday. Now, um, coming off of uh, Josh a few weeks ago and and C-Dub last week, C-W, C-W, last week, such a, such a good, good message. And, and you know, when you sit there and you hear things that maybe even that he didn't say, but within what he said, you hear things. I wrote a bunch of stuff down and got, had some good stuff. I thought, I'm just going to springboard off of what he was saying. I even asked him if he wanted to do part two. Because <laughs> that's, I didn't really have anything. Um, major that was just pushing on the inside of me. And so Thursday, I'm getting desperate. I'm sitting there. I, God, I need a word. See, Dub backed out. <laughs> no, he, he said, I, I'm good. I, I think I got it. So go for it. So I, I was like, oh, no. Um, so Thursday morning, I went to bed Wednesday night and, and uh, was uh, sleeping pretty good. My wife's not at home. She's on the road um, on vacation. And so I was, I've been sleeping by myself and it's kind of rough, you know. Dog won't even get up in bed with me. <clears throat> um, so I'm, I'm getting pretty good sleep that night. I'm, I'm right in the middle of a dream at 5.45 in the morning and some big crash happens in the house. And of course, I come out of the bed. And I'm like, what the heck was that? You know, because it's in my dream. And it woke me up. And I, so I, I got up and went out. And what I found is that the cat knocked over a fan. So we don't have air. We have one air conditioning unit in the front room. And we have to blow the air back through the house. We, I got a series of fans set up <laughs> to do that, to push air. And, and so the cat knocked over one of those fans. So I was like, dadgummit, I was just getting some good sleep. So... I go back to bed, and I'm laying there. My sleep was interrupted. And I'm kind of, yeah, ticked off about it, trying to choose my words right. And so I, I toss and turn there for a little while and, and um, decided, you know what, I'll just get up and read my Bible and pray a little bit and uh, be all holy and stuff, you know, because I'm mad. I need that. I need to read my Bible at that point. So I, I gathered my stuff, and, and I went out on the porch, got me a cup of coffee, went out on the back porch and was sitting in my rocking chair reading and praying and just having this quiet time, you know? And I don't know what time it was, but I hear this noise out on the road. Now, our house sits back off the road a little ways, and this 
machinery is happening on the road. And now I'm getting upset because I'm interrupted again. I don't have quiet time. My quiet time is interrupted. My Bible reading is interrupted. My prayer life has just gone to heck at that point because of machinery on the road. Now, let me go back a little bit. In 2011, 2012, Lynette and I were looking for a house to buy. We was renting a house and we was looking for a house to buy. And so we wrote down all this criteria of what we wanted in a house. And this house came up on our email or something like that. And we went and looked at it. It was the perfect house. Now, one of my criteria was no dirt road. I don't want to live on a dirt road. I like clean vehicles. I, I like my truck to be clean. And you can't have a clean truck on a dirt road. So I said, no dirt road. Well, here's my life. What, what Lynette wants, Lynette gets. Not because she gets it, but because I promised in the very beginning that I would stop at nothing to get what she wants. Hey Amen. I hope she's listening to this. It's like a Conway Twitty Loretta Lynn song, you know? See that mountain over there? I'll get it for you. It's true love. So she found her perfect house, and it was on a dirt road. The issue is, and I told you part of it, the issue is, is when it rains or snows, that dirt, they put mag chloride down on the road, and when it rains or snows, it's slicker than snot. I mean, it's like, you know, driving, trying the quarter mile down the dirt road that I get to my house, it's, and it just gets all, I have a four-wheel drive lifted pickup, and all, and all the mud gets up underneath there and stuff, and I have to spend time washing that out. It just, it's terrible. And my, and my truck's a one-ton truck, so hitting those potholes, shake the liver out of you. And when I drive on that nasty dirt road, I complain. I complain. Anybody who's riding in my truck on the dirt road upsets their prayer life. So back to my quiet time. I'm hearing this machinery out on the road. Again, I'm interrupted. This interruption happens, and I'm getting frustrated. And I'm like, why now? This is early in the morning. Why now? Why, why this morning when I'm needing to get with God, does this happen? And I start complaining. Now, here's, here's the deal. I, I just heard a podcast this week, this guy named Chris Ballatin. I don't know if you know Chris Ballatin. Anyways, I was listening to Chris, and, and he said, this is what he said. Oh, man, this is so good. He said, complaining is to the devil what worship is to God. Let me say that again. Complaining is to the devil what worship is to God. Well, you all have a good day. <laughs> and in that moment, I found myself complaining, and this come back to me, but I found myself complaining about the interruption that was fixing what I continually was complaining about. 
because the machinery on the road was taking the potholes out. They just come back in, they smoothing my road out. But I was mad because they spend, I want them to smooth my road out. I want the county to do their job. I want the city to do their job, whatever. But then I started complaining about what I complained about, and now I'm giving the devil double time. So I started thinking about that, and I wrote down some things in that, and it kind of just sent me down a path of asking this question to myself. Am I allowing interruptions in my life to illustrate frustration or God's goodness? Am I allowing the interruptions in my life to illustrate frustration or God's goodness? Here in Mark chapter 10, Jesus Jesus was going somewhere. He had a destination to get through, get to. Amen. I'm, I'm sure he was in Jericho ministering to all these people. He's been on a two-month tour healing everybody and praying for everybody and delivering everybody. And now he's on his way from Jericho to Jerusalem, and he just wants to get there. That's the way I would take it. I just want to get there. And... Jesus is going someplace. He's got someplace to be. But here's what I found out about Jesus is that he never wastes an interruption. Jesus never wastes an interruption. Because see, his purpose, Jesus' purpose is mentioned in Acts chapter 10, verse 38. It says that he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil. His deal was to just get out there and go. And when he got interrupted, he would stop and do what God had called him to do. Are you with me? See, Tamai or Junior here was a part of Jesus' purpose. And Jesus counted the interruption of Timai, of Junior, He counted the interruption of Junior as doing good. That was a part of doing good. When the man starts yelling at him and interrupts his going, Jesus stops in that interruption and says, bring him to me. Come on over. Come over. That, y'all, is the power of divine interruption. I don't see where Jesus ever complained about being interrupted by someone. I don't, I don't see that he complained about it because that was his purpose, was to do good and heal all who were oppressed of the enemy, of the devil. So Thursday morning, the interruption of my peace became the goodness of God. And it's how God... Waste no moments of our purpose. You may feel slowed down. You may feel interrupted. But we need to dive deeper into that and see what the power of divine interruption is all about. So that's what I'm talking to you about today is the power of divine interruption. Exploring that phrase, I found three elements of the power of divine interruption. And these three elements that I'm going to give to you today can be individual, 
When there's divine interruption, it can be the individual three things or it can be a combination of any of those three things or it can be all of them combined together. So I found in um, the narrative of Abraham and Isaac, I found these elements. If you want to, go over to Genesis chapter 22 and I'm going to change out my Bible. I'm going to go to the New Living Translation. Genesis chapter 22. Genesis is in the Old Testament. It's the first book of the Old Testament. Find contents and then you'll find... Genesis right after that. You have cover, contents, Genesis. All right? So I digress. So here in Genesis chapter 22, um, this kind of focuses and centers around the son of Abraham and Sarah named Isaac. Now, Abraham and Sarah, Sarah... knew this boy that they had, their son, as a miracle son. He's, he's a miracle because God promised Abraham a son of, of heritage and of legacy to a barren woman, to this man and his barren wife. She's 65 years old when God says, you're going to have a kid. Hello? He's, she's 65 years old, and she's never been able to have kids because there's been some problems in her body. But God promises them a son. And, and also, he's a miracle because both Abraham and Sarah are well past the age of having kids because they're elderly at this point. Their um, AARP has kicked in. And they're not interested in kids, but God, God promises them. And, and so they believe God. Faith was established in them, making a long story short. And we come to Genesis chapter 22. Here in Genesis chapter 22, because faith was established and they had this miracle son, now their faith is going to be tested a little bit. So this, go to Genesis chapter 22, verse 1. Y'all okay? Okay. Verse 1. New Living Translation says, Sometime later, God tested Abraham's faith. Abraham, God called. Yes, he replied, here I am. And he says, take your son, your only son, yes, Isaac, whom you love so much, and go to the land of Moriah. Go and sacrifice him. Go and sacrifice him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will show you. Now, let's stop right there for just a minute. When I've seen movies about this, Isaac is just a little guy. He's like three, five, ten maybe. They, they portray him as a little guy. But he's not. He's a man at this point. Now, some, you know, some scholars say, well, he was five. Some say he was up to 37 years old when this happened. Um, Sarah, the Bible says that Sarah died at 127 years old. And so that would have, she had uh, Isaac at 90, so that would have made him 37 when she died. Some say that she died during, while Abraham and Isaac were gone on this trip. And some say just a short time after that, she died. So, because this is a prophetic picture, Isaac is a prophetic picture of Jesus I believe that Isaac was about 33 years old because he is a prophetic picture of Jesus. This whole story, this whole piece right here is a prophetic um, picture 
of the cross and, and Jesus dying on the cross. So I, I believe he is about 33 years old. You can take that or leave it, whatever you want to do. But I ain't arguing with you because I'm right. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Let's go on. Verse 3 says, The next morning Abraham got up early, and he saddled his donkey, and he took two of his servants with him, along with his son Isaac. Then he chopped wood for a fire for a burnt offering and set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day of their journey, Abraham looked up and saw the place in, in the distance. Stay here with the donkeys, Abraham told his servants. The boy and I are going to travel a little farther, and we will worship there, and then we will be right back. We'll come right back. So Abraham placed the wood for the burnt offering on Isaac's shoulders. Now, wouldn't a five-year-old, that'd be kind of heavy for him to carry all the firewood up there, right? So I think he was a man. Just so you know, I'm right. (laughs) While he himself carried the fire and the knife, and as the two of them walked on together, Isaac turned to Abraham and said, Father, he says, yes, my son, we have the fire and the wood, the boy said, but where is the sheep for the burnt offering? God will provide a sheep for the burnt offering, my son, Abraham said. And they both walked on together. When they arrived at the place where God had told him to go, Abraham built an altar altar and arranged the wood on it. Then he tied his son Isaac. Now this 33-year-old man and, and Abraham's over 100. I think, I think, I really think Isaac could have took him. <laughs> but he was willing to be tied up. Um... Now I lost my place. Oh, there it is. Then he tied his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And Abraham picked up the knife to kill his son as a sacrifice. At that moment, the angel of the Lord called called to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. Yes, Abraham replied, here I am. So let's stop right there for just a minute. The angel of the Lord. Now, when you look at that in like the King James, New King James, it is capitalized there. And any time the angel of the Lord is capitalized, that is Jesus pre-incarnate before he came to earth. So in the Old Testament, he showed up as an angel of the Lord to Abraham here. And he says, as Abraham's getting ready, come down with the knife and kill his son. He says, stop. You know what that is? It's a divine interruption. It's a divine interruption. The angel of the Lord, Jesus, interrupted him because Abraham was committed to obedience and, and, and Isaac was committed to trust. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 19, it says that Abraham concluded that God was able to raise him from the dead. He, he was going to kill him. He, I don't know how God's going to do it, but he'll raise him from the dead because he promised me heritage and legacy within this boy, and he'll, promise, he, he'll raise him from the dead if he has to. See why this is a prophetic picture? It's his only son, and God can raise him from the dead? Yeah. Even though they were committed to obedience and trust, they were still open to divine interruption. Uh, I, I don't know what Abraham was thinking, but uh, when I'm like this, I'm like, okay, you can stop me anytime. 
And guess what happened? Divine interruption. So the first element that I want to share with you in this story is number one, the power of divine interruption brings protection. Brings protection. See, we probably, all of us, will probably never know how many times that we've been protected from tragedy because of interruptions in our life. I know that when we, Lynette and I, before we started the church, were traveling ministry and we traveled all over. And I, if you don't know this about me, I like to be first. When, I, when I'm driving, I like to be in front. Even if you're going the speed limit uh, and I'm behind you, I still want to be in front of you. I still want to be around you. And so when somebody would pull out in front of me, a truck or something like that, go and slow, being, I, oh, it just raked me. I wanted to be out front. Interruption. And I remember one time we were traveling down the road and, and um, oh man, I wanted to get there. I, I, I got some place to go. We got some place to be. And somebody pulled out in front of me and slowed me down and all this kind of stuff. And we happened upon a wreck on the highway. Bad wreck. And really the time frame that that happened, because the, the paramedics and stuff wasn't even there yet, the time that would happen, I probably would have been right there in the middle of it. Could have been me. But there was an interruption. And I should have thanked God for it, but I complained. I mean, I don't, I don't know if God's going to rewind things, put a DVD in and watch, watch our lives play out and the things that we missed. But I think there's tragedies that have been missed because of interruptions. And, and if, we don't, if we don't see the divine in those interruptions and see what God wants to do in those things, we're missing some important things that goes along with our purpose in life. Does that make sense? Protection. It's not always about, uh, you know, protection from physical things. But the divine interruptions are always about what is best for your spirit, your soul, or your body. It's always best. See, God knows. God knows what we need. He knows when we need to slow down. He knows when we need to speed up. Last year, last year, I think that God was saying, look, y'all need to slow down and reset a little bit so that you can begin to step into healing because there are people that need to be healed. There's, there's things in, in that, that shutdown that we had. There's things in that interruption that we had that we needed to download during that time in order to move into what God wants us to do as the church and handle this going forward. Because what happened last year, and I don't want to get political about this, but what happened last year is that our government allowed us to be controlled. They wanted to control. So when we allowed them to control, then now next time they want to do this, it's going to be a little bit easier and conditioned and all that kind of stuff. But God is saying, look, you got to find the divine interruption here. You got to find the divine in the interruption that we have here. And I think going forward, if we'll pull from what happened last year, going forward, I think we'll know what better what to do as the church, the capital C church, not just Northern Colorado Cowboy Church, but as the church, we'll be able to see some things to protect 
to protect what God wants to protect in our purpose of being a Christian. See, you're not a Christian because God wants you to go to heaven. You're a Christian because God needs you to take heaven and bring it to this earth and change the things that need to be changed to set up for him to come back and take over the lease that's been put on this earth. And he's got a group of people that help take over that lease. What? Yeah, see, uh, I can't get into that. The devil's just leasing this place, all right? He's just leasing this place. He's got a 6,000-year lease, and it's about due. So that means we got a purpose, y'all. All right, I'm moving. I'm moving. Genesis chapter 22, verse 12. Abraham's been interrupted. He says, don't lay a hand on the boy, the angel said. Do not hurt him in any way, for now I know that you truly fear God, and you have not withheld from me your, even your son, your only son. Key words there, right? Then Abraham looked up and saw a ram caught by its horns in a thicket. So he took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering in place of his son. Abraham named that place Yahweh Yireh, which means the Lord will provide. To this day, people still use that name as a proverb on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. Number two element of divine interruption is provision. We've got protection. Now we've got provision. See, what we need can be revealed within the midst of divine interruption. Did you hear me? What we need. What is it that you need? Everybody needs something. Everybody is pushing into needing or on their purpose, on their travel, on their journey. They need in order to make that journey go. Bartimaeus needed Jesus to be at the place where he was at that point to interrupt Jesus so that the two could come together and the purpose of what Jesus did and the purpose of what Bartimaeus needed to do, needed to do were fulfilled. It's provision. See, a ram was revealed and provided that wasn't there before. Don't you think that a ram or a, a sheep caught in a thicket would be making just a little bit of noise if it was right behind him? It did not until, until divine interruption happened, that ram wasn't there. And God brought that provision into that moment so that Abraham didn't have to do what God had asked him to do. See, scholars say that this is the same mountain that Jesus was crucified on. Mount Moriah, where Abraham did the thing, is the same mountain that Jesus died on. And in Isaiah 53, you can read, read about all of what Jesus provided when he died on the cross. He was the ram caught in the thicket that brought the provision not only to Isaac at that moment, but 2,000 years later brought provision so that we could have it 2,000 years later. Thursday morning, the interruption was a divine interruption for me. 
Because I thought, what I'm complaining about, this divine interruption, I, I picked up my pad of paper and I wrote divine interruption down and wrote down a few things. And I thought, that's going to be good to preach one of these days. And I put it aside. I was like, hello. Your church needs to hear something and I just gave it to you. I provided it. See, in that moment, it was a ram caught in a thicket. I never even heard of divine interruptions before until that moment. And now you are because of what happened to me on Thursday morning. Provision is in the midst of divine interruption. Now, Genesis chapter 22, verse 15. Then the angel of the Lord called again to Abram, Abraham from heaven. This is what the Lord says, because you have obeyed me and have not withheld even your son, your only son. I swear by my own name, I will certainly bless you and I will multiply your descendants beyond number like the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will conquer the cities of their enemies. And through your descendants, all the nations of the earth will be blessed, all because you have obeyed me. The first element is protection. The second element is provision. And the third element that I want, to see, want you to see here is promotion. Promotion. Promotion literally means advancement. When you're promoted or you see promotion happen, it is literally advancement. And what divine interruption does in our life to bring promotion is kingdom advancement. When, when there is a divine interruption that happens to you, there is always an advancement that would happen in the kingdom if we'll shut up and quit complaining and look and find God and push into that moment and see what God wants to bring there so that he can promote his kingdom through you to do what God has called you to do in that moment. Jesus, in that moment, with Bartimaeus, with Junior, in that moment, did what he was supposed to do. And it promoted the kingdom of God. How many people, I don't know how many people, but how many people were there that watched this blind beggar who had been begging for years to get his sight back in that moment? What did it do? It advanced God's kingdom. And because of Abraham's obedience and Isaac was trusting that divine interruption promoted our salvation. What do you mean? See, it's in that moment of divine interruption that God's kingdom on earth through Abraham could be envisioned. For Jesus to establish for us, for, so that you and I can execute. Did you get it? Abraham envisioned salvation in that moment. Jesus, 2,000 years later, after that moment, Jesus died on the cross and he brought that to earth. Jesus established salvation in that time. And now for you and me, 2,000 years after that, 
for you and me, we get to execute salvation. We get to carry it out. Ah, I don't think you got it. Because this is what happens when you begin to talk to somebody about Jesus. When you talk about Jesus, when you share Jesus with somebody, you are, maybe even unknowingly, you're going back 4,000 years to that Mount Moriah, picking up what Abraham and Isaac's divine interruption happened, what happened to them, you're picking up their divine interruption. You're carrying it forward 2,000 years to Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. And then you're carrying that forward 2,000 years to the moment of a Kairos divine interruption in someone's life. Did any of you all who have Jesus in your life, did any of you all calculate out when you were a kid and say, you know, at 12 years old, I think I'll get saved. At 32, when I'm at rock bottom, when I'm, when I'm in the rehab center, at 45, when I'm in prison, I think I'll ask Jesus to come into my heart. I'm just going to plan that out now. None of us did because salvation is always a divine interruption in our life. Any time that you think back on the time that you gave your life to Jesus Christ, it was a divine interruption because you didn't, you really didn't want that. I can say it for myself. I really didn't want that. You know, when that person asked me to come and come to their church for a cowboy church service, that they had a special speaker and I went there drunk. All right. I went there hungover from the drunk the night before. I wasn't looking to get Jesus in my life. One. It was a divine interruption. So when you share Jesus with somebody, you are divinely interrupting their life because you're going back to Abraham and Isaac and what they did that brought Jesus to establish, which brought us to execute the gospel. Those are Kairos moments, guys. That's what Kairos moments are about. Divine interruption brings protection, provision, promotion. So here's what I want to challenge you today. Is that when you comb the scriptures and the narratives and the stories of the men and women of the Bible, what I want you to begin to do is look for those divine interruptions. When you're, when you're thinking about Esther, when you're thinking about David, when you're thinking about the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul, when you read his story, how many divine interruptions did he have? I mean, the road to Damascus is one of them. The, the Bible says that, that, that the light of Jesus shone on him and it knocked him to the ground. Some people said it knocked him off his donkey. Knocked him off his jackass to the ground. How many, how many have been knocked off their jackass lately, huh? The apostle, the apostle Paul, stop it, kid. My, son, my son's laugh is so addictive. The apostle Paul was a prisoner on a boat that got into a storm. 
on his, on his way to Rome? Divine interruption. Looked like a storm, but it was a divine interruption. Nobody lost their life because it was, it was God's way of saving the whole ship because Paul was there. And he, he learned how to step into those divine interruptions. When he gathered the wood on the, on the, the island of Malta, when he gathered the wood, set fire to the wood, the snake jumped out and bit him on the arm. The, the, the natives there in Malta went, he's a murderer. The snake bit him. He's got to be a murderer. Well, he rips the snake off and goes on about his way. And they said, never mind, he's a god. I mean, you go from a murderer to being god with divine interruption. The snake looked like a snake bite, but it was a divine interruption. And the whole island got saved because now Paul is considered as a god because he captured the divine interruption and leveraged it forward. If we look hard enough, we'll see the power of divine interruption as a common thread through every one that God puts purpose on. And you know how many people God puts purpose on? Everyone. Everyone. Even that sucker that gave me the figure on the road the other day? Yep. He wasn't executing his purpose. I don't think. Unless it was me. No, I'm kidding. I'm, you know, I like to be first. I'll, I'll move on. We live in a world. We live in a world of instant gratification, fault finding, and fact checking. That's the world we live in. So a lot of times we don't have time for these interruptions. But see, God says, look, I'm going to interrupt your life every day. I love the minister, the, the lady minister, Heidi Baker. I love Heidi. I don't like her, but I love her. Because she makes me cry every time I every time I'm, get into her presence or even read her books. I, I cry. But... Um, her philosophy of her ministry is every day stop for the one. I think that was Jesus' deal. When Junior was yelling at him, he stopped for the one. All these people around him probably had needs, but he stopped for the one. He stopped for the one who was in that divine interruption. And it's difficult because we live in this world of instant gratification, fault-finding, and fact-checking. It's difficult to categorize our interruptions as divine interruptions. Because when, when our life is disrupted, when our life is forced to be put on hold, when we're interrupted, the knee-jerk reaction for every one of us is to complain. But you remember what Chris Valentin said? Complaining is to the devil what worship is. To God. So here's my challenge to you. Let's start conditioning ourselves to look for God in those divine interruptions or those just those interruptions. Let's start looking for God in that moment. Let's do it first. Instead of complaining, condition, start conditioning yourself and challenging yourself to put God in it first because God, like Jesus... We don't need to waste interruptions. Don't waste them. God's got something for you in the midst of it. Leveraging interruptions into our purpose is what this Christian life is all about. 
maybe we'll see more interruption, divine interruptions shape Jesus in us and advance his kingdom in us when we give ourselves over to him in the midst of those divine interruptions. I want to I pray for you because I know every one of us are challenged by interruptions in our life. And I just, I want to loose that in you. Do you want that loosed in you? I mean, I, I want, I want that, you know, since Thursday morning, I'm like, I, I want to see my, the interruptions of my day. I want to see the things that interrupt me and I want to find the divine in it. I want to find heaven in it. I want to see where God wants to bring heaven through that because of me, because I'm in that moment. So I want to pray that over you. If you don't want that, then just don't receive what I pray over you. Just say, I'm good. But if you do want that, receive it. Just just open up your hand. I mean, you don't have to do this physically if you don't want to. But I mean, when somebody gives you a gift, you, you receive it. You just reach out and receive it. So if you want to receive that today, just, just reach out and receive that. Heavenly Father, I thank you and I praise you so much for who you are. And I thank you for your divine interruptions. I thank you for the interruptions that we may not even see are your interruptions. But God, I pray that as you open our eyes and open our ears to see and to hear, Father, we receive today, we receive today the divine in our interruptions. Father, I, I pray that you would make us sensitive both in our bodies in our minds, in our spirits. I pray that you would, you would just help us to be aware and acknowledge those Kairos moments that we walk into. The interruptions, the, the things that can make us complain, God, I just pray that you would help us to open our eyes and see you and your purpose for our lives in the midst of that. Father, we receive that in Jesus' name. Amen. Do you receive that this morning?